you can get a bigger value probably when you go to sell the apartments just because more buyers out there trade slightly better cap rates and storage. So that's kind of the big difference. I think you're going to get better cash flow on storage. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, you know, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we've built a relationship with him in Eastern Union funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got and assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, all you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, but besides that, you know the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. John Lenhart. How you doing, John? Pretty good. Doing well, Joe. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about John. He is an attorney, an entrepreneur, and an active real estate investor. He specializes in multifamily and self-storage in the Cincinnati market. I actually met John at a meetup a couple weeks ago, and we talked for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I don't know how long it was, but I just really enjoyed learning from John about what he was doing. He has a portfolio of over $15 million in growing. He specializes in multifamily and self-storage, like I mentioned, based in Cincinnati. So with that being said, John, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure thing. As you mentioned, we're actively involved in the apartment as well as self-storage markets. We do have a few other small one-off properties as well in the portfolio, but 
really we tend to focus on the apartment and self-storage. We are local market investors, so we are focusing on the Cincinnati region, mostly because we manage our own property and we know the area ourselves. So it allows us the opportunity to see the properties ourselves. We have not reached out to take private money yet, but that's something that we're exploring in the future. But that's primarily why we've stuck to our own local market. As mentioned, I am a lawyer by training. I no longer actively practice legal work, have a few other small businesses as well as my real estate business. And as mentioned, we've been doing this for about 10 years now and really, really enjoy what we're doing on the real estate side. So that's kind of where my interest lies and where the growth has been. So we got into apartments about 10 years ago and have grown that into a apartment and storage portfolio. Okay. So you started out with apartments 10 years and then you went from apartments and also storage units? Correct. We started back in 2008, just kind of dipping our toes in the water with a couple four families in the local Cincinnati area. You know the Cincinnati market, Joe. So as you know, there's a lot of older 60, 70 year old two and four family properties around the area. And that's how we got in. You know, the market was down at that time, I should say. And there was a few decent deals out there that we were able to find. And what we did is we uh, got going as we uh, built our portfolio up slowly, just rolling over all the cash flow that we got from each property. So every year we'd roll over and be able to acquire another property or two, depending on how much cash we had and the price we're able to uh, find the property for. After about four years, we had acquired eight four families, so about 33 units total, and an opportunity in self-storage came to us in the market. And we'd been studying this for a little bit of time at this point, so we knew a little bit about it. I'd even gone to the Scott Myers training, if anyone knows who he is. He's kind of the guru expert on uh, self-storage training. And the opportunity came up, and we jumped on it, and it was a very good opportunity for us. Since then, we were able to opportunities or hidden gems in the area, and these were all value-add opportunities that we found and have since worked on growing those. That's been kind of our evolution. You mentioned you haven't taken private investors, but you say we when you're talking about the business. Who's we? Well, I have a partner in the business. So this started 10 years ago. I was in my late 20s at the time, and I work with my father on this. So he more or less came to me and saw me take a keen interest in real estate at the time and said, hey, the economy's down or market's down. I'm worried about my retirement. Let's possibly get a few four families together. I would contribute to the money. He would contribute to the money. So we went into it as a fairly equal partnership. And that's kind of how we started building it up. And as the years have gone by, we've just continued to let everything build up. And how did you come across a self-storage opportunity? Well. The first one we came across was found on LoopNet of all places. And I've actually found a few deals on LoopNet, not just storage, but even apartment deals. And I know everyone says LoopNet's where deals go to die. And that's true for many cases. But if you can run the numbers right and negotiate, you can find some of those diamonds in the rough and get something that'll work for you. So I found it on LoopNet. I'd already been to Scott Myers and studied Scott Myers training materials. So I knew a little bit about what to find on the self-storage. This was something that was owned by a mom and pop. So it was about 10 years old. They were looking to retire down in Florida. And when you got in there, realized that the systems they were running were very archaic, to put it nicely here. 
we got in there and they were keeping the ledger for everyone that paid around the side of the lease. So every time a person pays, they write on the lease, they paid for June or July or August. So they had no computer systems in place. They had no property management system in place. Their rents were bargain basement low. They'd never raised rents in their history. And I saw this, um, they're leaving a ton of money on the table there. There's a ton of opportunity here to build this up into a more modern system and really increase the revenue and the value of the property. And it was a great property to start with for that reason. So, you know, we came in there originally and brought a professional property management where we brought a system in. And we computerized everything. We made a web page so people could actually go out and rent units online, which was becoming a thing, instead of having to spend $2,000 for a yellow page ad, which was common at the time, but dying at the time. We realized that we could save a lot of money there and also increase the revenues. So we did things like that. We brought in uh, U-Haul trucks as another way to get referrals as well as to increase revenue through U-Haul commissions. We started selling locks and boxes, which previously hadn't been done at that location. And it was just another source of auxiliary revenue and other sources such as storage insurance, things like that. And then one of the other things that we started doing, which was becoming common in the industry at that time, was charging what I call as a administration fee or a renting fee, similar to going to the gym where they charge you a fee just to sign up for the privilege of signing up to join a gym. It's the same concept with storage. A lot of times you charge 10 to $20 just for the privilege to rent the unit. That's very common in the industry. And we initiated that and just a number of sources of different revenue for the property. Hmm. The admin fee, the insurance the locks and boxes, the U-Haul trucks, which one has the highest impact on the P&L? Well, if I were going to say of anything, probably the U-Haul trucks. And the reason being, it's not so much the revenue that it brings in. The admin fees, the locks, the boxes, the U-Haul trucks, they're all I'd say, de minimis for the, in the big picture. You're not going to have an independent business based on rent U-Haul trucks or even selling storage insurance. But what it does and what it allowed us to do is it maybe account for 8 to 10% of our monthly revenue. But what U-Haul especially was doing was it gave us access to their system. And we'll not just have our own webpage, but we're on their webpage. And when someone rents a truck from us, they're more likely to need storage. And we happen to be there as they bring the truck back and place the store stuff. So it rents us more units. It also puts us on their platform and gets us more views on their webpage to rent more units as well. And so that's why I'd say the U-Haul was probably the biggest impact, but not necessarily from the specific revenue it brings in, but from the additional storage customers that it generates. How many more storage facilities have you purchased since then? We have three additional facilities in and around the area. After eight months of running this, we realized this is actually a, a pretty good thing. And uh, we really started looking for another one. And we found another facility about three miles away. And we purchased that about a year into it. That was something we bought out of uh, foreclosure from the bank. And the way that worked out was the price was great. I mean, you had to be a fool to turn that down. But How it much was taught it? us severely important. Well, it was about double the size of our first facility for roughly the same price. I believe we paid about 650000 for it at the time. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Yes, but it had its own set of challenges that as we got into it, got to kind of see the differences between, for example, the storage market and the apartment market and the fact that demographics and location, how that plays into the storage market. The market that we bought our first facility in, it was a good market, fairly middle-class market in the area. It was growing. The market that we got our second facility, even though it was only a few miles away, was on the downturn a little bit. And it was also overbuilt. So there's a lot more storage in the area than possibly needed to be. So it kept rates down. We had a higher delinquency rate that naturally occurred there. Rates were down because there's a lot more competition in the area. So it posed additional different challenges than the first one did. And what we learned from that is when we're buying facilities, to spend a little bit more time looking at key demographics, almost like a retail establishment would, because that's going to be a core driver for your storage rental business. Do you still have that second one? Yes, we do. It's performing really well. And it does very well for us, but it just has to be managed slightly differently than, for example, one that's in a well-to-do area that your unit size is going to be different, your delinquency is going to be different, how they rent are going to be different. It's just a matter of how you manage it. So it's not quite the same level or same thought process and management that you'd have from one to the other. I would love to learn more about some specifics of how you manage it differently, because if someone who's listening finds themselves in a situation where their area is overbuilt, but hey, they already bought the place and the demographics aren't as good. Here's how you make it work. How do you do that? Our second one, as I mentioned, it's in an area called Middletown, Ohio. For those who don't know the area, Middletown isn't the fastest growing area in town. It's more of a uh, older factory town and it's seen better days and it's still struggling. Now, this particular property that we purchased. I guess it was a good deal for us, but it had a high delinquency rate, needed a lot more management on site to manage things. The manager has the ability to cut deals with people. We're doing more storage auctions at this location than we would do at some of our other locations, which don't have the same type of default rate, but we're taking a lot more active approach in managing it. We're working with the tenants saying, okay, We might be willing to take a partial payment or two for someone who's getting behind here or put them on a payment plan to get caught up as opposed to just send them the letter and auction their stuff off quicker. It's just that's the nature of the market that we're in. So the prices that you can charge per unit or per square foot are going to be lower at this location versus other locations that we might have. It's all nature of the market and how much competition is there and nature of the income level of the market as well. That doesn't mean that it's a bad location or a bad property. It's a great property and performs very well for us. It's just there's different market conditions and how we got to adjust our management style. As an owner, when you're looking at the operations and the profit and loss statement for that property and you're doing the balancing act of having the on-site person cut deals for maybe partial payment and maybe a payment plan. What metrics do you look at to make sure that they're at the right spot so that you're not doing too much of the partial payments or payment plans and you're holding occupancy or, or the delinquency is decreasing? How do you look at that? Well, I guess first thing we're looking at is, is our delinquency rate. And ideally, all of our properties we like to keep our self-storage delinquency rate at or below 5%. 
in that five to 10% range, it runs more about 8% in those times. So that's the first thing we're starting to look at is, okay, where's your delinquency rate at the end of the month? Where's that falling? There's always going to be a delinquency there. And really most places are going to have some type of delinquency. People fall behind. People got to pick and choose what type of bill is most important to them. And I get it. Sometimes you just got to let your stuff go in the storage unit. But the great thing about storage is you don't have to go to court to get people out. You can just cut their lock and have an auction and that cleans them out. And then you rent it to somebody else. But we're monitoring that. Typically, when we are working with a customer, we're cognizant to say, okay, you're two and a half months behind. We're not going to take a $30 a month payment or $30 a week payment till you get caught up. You got to make a significant chunk. We understand you're not going to pay off three months in late fees at the same time. But if you pay off say a month and a half now, then we'll work with you to allow you to make another chunk payment in two, three weeks. So our goal is to first and foremost, collect the amount that they've owed for storage. And then late fees are secondary at that point. When you have a customer who is delinquent and you might have to do an auction, is there some formula that you look at where it's like, okay, if they're past 200 bucks in delinquency fees, and I know on average I'm going to generate $250 in income. Then I've got a $50 spread, so I better do the auction now versus next month because then it's at 300 and I'm going to make 250 so I'm down $50. Is there some type of formula that you look at for that? Not necessarily. It's just us, again, because we're probably more of a smaller group than some of the big REITs out there who... I'm sure have and they may have a set formula in place when they're also managing tens of thousands of units as well. But what we typically look at is our lien status is after 60 days in an auction, anytime between 90 to 110 days is typically when we're holding our auctions. We hold them quarterly at our facilities or at least the ones that need it. So we have quarterly auctions for, the, for those. Typically what we see is when the notice of auction comes out, that's when people get excited and anxious and they want to make a payment. Well, up until then, they're fine letting things go. That spurs people to action. And typically the week of the auction, that's where we are getting our big collections coming in from those. And we let people pay to get their stuff back up until auction. So that's how we typically do it because most of the time auctions are not going to generate what you owe in rent anyway. So we typically let them have until that time. As far as the specific metrics go, we might have in scheduling auctions, typically in the winter time, with the weather, if we know it's a colder month or not, we might hold off a couple weeks here or there. If it's January, we might hold off till February or March because people start filing their taxes in February and March. So they get their tax refunds and a lot of times they're able to have a big chunk of money to pay off their storage bill at that time. So those are some things we take into consideration. Your storage facility portfolio versus your apartment portfolio, which one do you make more money on? I'll start with that question. Well, they're both very profitable. The biggest difference I'd say between the two of them is with storage, you're going to get more cash. So storage is a very cash cow business. So you are going to be able to generate more cash with the storage portfolio than apartments. But with apartments, I say if you're looking to grow the value of the property and then cash out in three to five years, you can get a bigger value probably when you go to sell the apartments. 
just because more buyers out there trade slightly better cap rates than storage. So that's kind of the big difference. I think they get better cash flow on storage. And what's the largest apartment size building or community that you got in terms of units? Right now, our largest is a 50-unit complex. And then self-storage, what's the largest? As far as the number of units? Units, yeah. About 450 units. Rental square feet, it's about 65, 70,000 square feet. So comparing the 50-unit apartment complex to the 450 rental spaces, storage unit, which one takes up more of your time? Oh, the apartments by a long shot. You're always having to go to apartments, you know, not always having to go. I mean, I have a staff that takes care of most of the stuff for me, but we're always getting maintenance calls about clogged toilets or leaky roof or any number of issues, or we're turning an apartment and we have to do renovations, or there's always maintenance issues to handle in an apartment that are always coming up. And then you have the collection issues as well for people running late and assessing late fees and tenants can't seem to get along. That's pretty much common at any apartment building. But at storage, you don't have any of that. It's still a collection business where you're sending notices to people as well. You have to have somebody who most likely works the office depending on the size of your facility and what services you offer there. But outside of that, you can have a call center that answers the calls and takes payments after hours. Our facilities are set up where people can go online and make their payment if they want. Or a lot of them are set up for automatic payments. So at 12.01 a.m., 60% of all our revenues come in for the month and we're already cash flow positive. So that's some of the great things about storage. You don't have to worry about getting that call in the middle of the night saying that a pipe is burst and it's being flooded. That's not something you got to worry about in storage. You don't have to worry about someone having a meth lab in your storage facility because there's no water source. So those are all things that make the management of that a lot easier. The last one you purchased, how long ago did you buy it and how did you find that one, the storage unit? We're typically relying on a network of brokers that we've developed. We work closely with them as well as vendors that we work with for other things who go out and are bird dogs for us and try and find us property. I'm not someone who goes out. I don't have the time to do letter writing and send out letters to various owners and try and solicit properties. I, I rely on the brokers for that. So this particular property, the last one we closed that, the closing date was in early February this past year. And we looked at it dating back to August of last year. So we got it under contract in September, October timeframe. It was about a three-month close. From a broker? It was from a broker, yeah. Okay. And when you have a bird dog, like a vendor or someone who finds a deal... How much are they compensated? Well, we've looked at properties from them. We haven't found a property from them yet. How much would and you compensate? I the people that kind of, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Obviously, something that's fair and reasonable to everyone, I'd probably give them, depends on what a reasonable broker commission would be, at least 1% or 2% of the deal is kind of what I'd think. But I hadn't really thought too much about that. What would I say my bird dog people? I'm using my U-Haul guys to say, hey, find me a facility because for them, it looks good for their numbers too, because I'm going to bring U-Haul to that facility if there's not there. And if there is, they know that I'm going to keep it there. So it helps them in their business as well. So that's one good thing. And the other thing, like my fence guys, same thing, guys who repair my fences, guys who, my plumbers, people like that, that might know of something coming available. 
it just means it's going to be more business for them down the line too in their main business. So that's kind of a strategy I use too. Like I said, we haven't found anything that we've purchased from them, but we've certainly looked at quite a few properties they've sent our way and underwrote them. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, as a local market investor, it's relying on my network, whether it be brokers or outside vendors to help find properties for us that are kind of under the radar. Some of the best properties we have found, especially lately, are the ones that are owned by the out-of-town investors that don't understand the area and are missing out on a lot of upside that the property has that they don't know because they are out-of-towners. They don't know the local trends or some of the local developments coming through the pipeline or they're not in tune to uh, the local business community to see where the, the growth is going as well as a local is. So that's part of the reason why we really focus a lot on our local market. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. All right, then absolutely. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. If you're syndicating deals, I recommend you check out the annual Raising Money Summit in Denver. The two-day event on November 17th and 18th is going to sell out, but you can get your ticket today and you'll save $100. Go to realbluespruce.com forward slash bestever. What's the best ever book you've recently read? Recently read or in general, the best book I have read that I recommend is The Millionaire Mind by Thomas Stanley. Early on in my career, it kind of set my focus a lot and I thought it was a very good growth on business. As far as recent books, I'm in the middle of uh, Matt Faircloth's Raising Capital book right now. That's a pretty good book right now too. Enjoy that book a lot too. Best ever deal you've done? Well, I'd say back in 2014, we did a storage facility, and the great thing about it, it was owned by a developer who was having some issues, struggling. He didn't exactly know what he had, and we got the thing for a very good price. There was a little bit of, I guess, uncertainty there because there's a lot of units we couldn't touch, and when we finally took over, we realized we had about... Half the unit was deemed vacant, but it had people's belongings in it, and we were able to quickly auction that off and get the place running up fully. So we've doubled the revenue in the facility on a three-year term, so great deal for us. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we have not talked about already? Probably I'd say my first real estate deal. It was a two-family house I purchased back in 2006, even before I really started actively investing. If you remember back that long, that was the height of the old real estate cycle where everything was just crazy priced. And I bought in an up and coming market that was way too much. And I still had the property today and it's performing now for me. But for the first couple of years, it was cash flow negative and just not a great investment at first, but we were able to turn it around. Best ever way you like to give back? Well, being having some younger kids right now, spend a lot of time volunteering with their activities and their events, but 
My wife, she's big with the Ronald McDonald House. She does a lot of stuff on their boards, and I've got to know them through the years. If you don't know anything about the Ronald McDonald House, they are a phenomenal charity to work with, and they do a great job for families of children who are in the hospital with long-term care needs. What's the best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you got going on? Best way they can learn more about what I have going on? I am active on Bigger Pockets, and I am a commentator there. And anyone's welcome to reach out to me on that. I'm always happy to talk real estate or see me at some various local networking events as well. I'm always happy to chat with them there. I love the business. I love what we're doing. And it's definitely my passion. So I'm happy to strike up a conversation with anyone who's interested. And I appreciate you inviting me on the show. And I appreciate the best ever listeners for listening to me here today. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm very grateful that you're on the show learning about how you turned around the storage facilities, some specific ways that you did that, the U-Haul inclusion where you're not only getting the fee from referrals, but also you're included in their network. So you get new leads. So it's a partner that continues to pay dividends in the future, as well as the more challenging storage facility, the second one that you bought and what you did in order to make that work and all the other miscellaneous tips along the way. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Look forward to seeing you around, Joe. Thank you. If you're syndicating deals, I recommend you check out the annual Raising Money Summit in Denver. The two-day event on November 17th and 18th is going to sell out, but you can get your ticket today, and you'll save $100. Go to realbluespruce.com forward slash best ever.